Welcome to Unfiltered, a series brought to you by Women Unlimited and We Are Outspoken, both are platforms for supporting women and young creatives in the creative and marketing industries. We aim to bring you honest discussions, insight, experiences and tips, some very much our own and some via guest speakers from the industry. The pandemic has had a huge impact on our creative industry. With the end of the furlough scheme in October, a lot of people are going to find themselves without a job and will have no choice but to go freelance. Freelance used to be a choice, it may now become a necessity. We hear that data is suggesting that women and BAME have been disproportionately affected by furlough and therefore potentially more will be looking at freelance as an option. In this podcast, we discuss what we can do. What are the pitfalls and advantages of going or staying freelance with practitioners who are living through this, along with a recruiter specialising in freelance in the creative industry, Emma Head of Beyond the Book, and Alison Grade, creative entrepreneur and author of the Freelance Bible. Emma has nearly 20 years dedicated to creative recruitment and now runs a freelance desk for Beyond the Book, a recruitment agency in Birmingham. Emma says she knew this was the right career for her as she loves talking to people and forging long-term relationships, seeing people develop into more senior roles. She's also known in the office as the IR35 Oracle and has helped put lots of freelancers and clients' minds at rest and still finds time to bake up a storm in the kitchen. Alison describes her key skill as transforming creative ideas into a business reality. She accomplishes this with the films she produces, the creative entrepreneurs she mentors, SMEs and freelancers she advises, and in her Penguin published book, The Freelance Bible. Alison has a unique skill set in that she has formal academic training, has worked at senior level in many media companies, is an entrepreneur who has established several businesses, and is a Nesta-accredited creative enterprise trainer and mentor. She brings her passion, knowledge and experience with her in all the work she does. A warm welcome to both of you. Emma and Alison are joined by Sweater, Sioni and myself, Diane, from Women Unlimited. So let's start by discussing what does going freelance mean if you've always been employed? How, for example, do you cope with a shift in the nature of the work? Yeah, I think I think for me, that big shift that I see with freelancers is when you've been employed and suddenly you're not employed. It's that mental shift to being responsible to finding your own work. You've got to do that as well as working on the work that you're paid to do. And even things that you might take for granted, are like your IT, you've got to sort that out yourself if it goes wrong. So I kind of say it's like you've got to wear all these different hats and all these different roles, like you're running your own little business. You've got to be the CEO of your own freelance career. You've got to be the finance director. You've got to be the marketing and salesperson. You've got to do the operations. Um, so there's a lot of um, different hats to wear. And then you've got all these different plates to spin because you've got all the different projects you're working on. So there's quite a lot to get your head around, much more so than you're not just working in your work that you may have done as an employee. You've got to work on your business as well, on your freelancing. And I think that's the mindset change that is very different for uh, if you've come, sorry, if you've come from an employed background. For some people, they've always you know, wanted to go freelance, but maybe not, never taken the leap. Um, and in the last sort of six, nine months have maybe been forced into that situation. Um, but it, I think in terms of being able to um, you know, be su- successful as a freelancer, you have to you have to put in the legwork to begin with, really. So you're you know, sort of being a freelancer means being your own boss, um, you know, having, um, you know, sort of you're setting your own hours you know, your your rates, you know, what type of clients you want to do. Um, so you're sort of master or mistress of your own ship. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's never been a, a better time to freelance in some respects. And in others, um, you know, it's a bit more tricky because there's there's a lot more people in the market. So but I think if you if you truly want to be um, a freelancer and give it all you've got, Wes, what about your experiences? Yeah, I think I've always, um, um, you know, seen freelance as a stopgap sort of, you know, in between jobs or in between sort of, you know, taking that sort of break, you know, looking for the next steps. And I agree with Alison and Emma. I think it it does kind of put a lot of pressure on yourself because you're you're having to sell yourself first and then you're going to have to go in and then do a job. 
Um, and again, that can be quite hard because you've got to notify so many people. You've got to tell the industry that you are now available to freelance. And that's the big, big step. So, you know, you get in touch with a whole, I mean, I used to have a list of headhunters. I used to make down a list of people I'd worked in the past um, with. And you've, you've got to literally actively sell yourself. And that can be quite sometimes demoralizing, I think. I mean, it just depends on how um you know you, you can't do it every day of the week you know you've got you've got to set yourself you've got to be quite disciplined I think when you're freelance I think like Alison said you wear so many hats you've got to be able to it's it's your own business effectively so you've got to be disciplined in terms of okay I'll allocate two days in terms of networking two days trying to reach out to people a few days to do something else so I think that's the kind of mental shift that you're not just focusing in your work but you're focusing on finding work which I think is a really big mm-hmm. task in itself yeah. the old so hunter find your own food yes <laughs> and it's <Yeah>. ongoing <laughs> that's very true <laughs> yeah I think for me that's also been the biggest shift um, when I'm freelancing is that while you're working you're also thinking about the next job because you know it's going to finish in a week or two weeks or in two days and it's quite unsettling actually in the beginning because you constantly feel like you're kind of not really landing anywhere you're constantly on the move and you have to be really out there and reach out to a lot of people and keep those relationships going and they can actually take quite a long time to get anything back just um, that networking side of it and making sure people like Sweater said making sure people know that you're available making sure people know who you are right what you can do uh, maybe what you can do has changed over the years I mean I freelanced a while ago like really years ago now I'm freelancing again and you know you've got a lot more experience you've done different things so you can actually offer different things so you need to let people know so it's the shift to thinking okay I need to think about my next job and kind of that unsettled feeling is something you really have to kind of lean into and kind of embrace because it it, it can give you a lot of stress I think if you don't kind of accept that that's part of part and parcel of being a freelancer. I think the other thing that comes through from all you've said is that you're doing this on your own you know there isn't your team or your PA or whatever you've had when you've been employed all of a sudden they're not there anymore. So if you're, so going back to being your C, the CEO and the marketing director and all the rest of it, it's all just you on your own. So potentially it's a little bit isolating sometimes as well. So you want to work on your own, but this uncertainty of always, you know, where is that next piece of food coming from? How do you, what's a good way of coping with some of this, ident- uh, this sorry, uncertainty? Alison, have you got any tips in your book for this? Yeah, absolutely. I think you have to start thinking about like what what your risk profile is, how how secure you feel in insecurity. Part of that's really just just literally working out your finances. How much do I need to live on? How much needs to come in over the course of 12 months? And what does that look like? So gives you a sense of sales targets from that. You can start working out some daily rates and stuff like that but much more it just gives you a sense of what you've got to get so you know what you're trying to do um but also are you know thinking about you know you've talked about different types of project work and different ways of engaging with clients you know are you doing stuff that people are buying your services for at an hour at a time is it a day at a time is it a week at a time is it like 10 days over three months understanding sort of work you do and what suits your work life balance your situation then you can start thinking about well who are those clients? What are the projects that work for me? And those shorter projects, if you can build up a loyal client base, maybe you can start looking for retainers and things like that. If you're if you're feeling really risk averse and really worried, can you find a way of packaging something so that you can get some regular pieces of work with a client and, and, and building that? So just understanding that portfolio of things you can offer and you know, like Sione said, you know, you've got, you've been freelance at different times, you've got different services. So maybe at times you might just offer a service that you can do really standing on your head, but actually that's just some bread and butter, maybe while you're launching yourself, looking for some other um, clients that stretch you a bit further. So different strategies, understanding, but it's, I think for me, it's all about being customer focused and understanding who I'm working for and what they want. And when I start to do that, then then I start to unlock opportunities. Great advice. Emma, what do you find with some of your candidates? 
Yeah, I think it's really been very, quite disciplined. Um, a little bit what Alison said is, you know, sort of understanding, you know, sort of who you're targeting, um, sort of days of the week where you're messaging people to tell them about your availability um, so that, you know, kind of people get to expect it. An email just drops in. Don't worry if people don't respond back to you. At least they've got it. They know that you're available. Um, so putting it on LinkedIn, um, you know, sort of there's a lot of strategies talking to people because the, the difficulty with a freelancer, if you're starting to, panic that you haven't had work for a couple of weeks um you know the isolation you're working in isolation is reach out to other freelancers you know reach out to people just say are you experiencing the same thing you know maybe there's something happening that you know you can't see the full extent of it because you're working singularly um equally you know we have a lot of chats um with a lot of freelancers and you know we end up sometimes counseling people because they um are really scared and um you know and we try and sort of get them to see through it and and understand that this about the things that they can do but i think the biggest thing is to talk to someone and and keep messaging people and don't worry if you don't get too much back people still absorb it um and um that discipline of not thinking i think the worst thing is when someone goes oh i've got a big chunky bit of business i've got six months this client's booked me up for brilliant so then you go heads down freelancer into that six month um, contract and then doesn't send anything out to anyone sort of, you know, because they're nice and busy. Um, and then the next minute that six months ends and they go, oh, you know, no, no one's um, everyone's forgotten me and I haven't kept up with all those contacts. Um, and then it's almost like they're starting again. So um, so it's, you know, regular contact with people, even if you're quite busy they still know that you're there um, and you might be able to squeeze in a small job so if you know if you're busy for six months but you could still do an evening or a weekend for a small job for someone so it you know sort of that's I think important is to kind of reach out and keep reaching out regardless of how busy you are. Great great advice Alison. Yeah to... I just picking up on what Emma's saying what what I find when I talk to freelancers they don't really understand the value and the power of their own networks and what's mm. in it and what's there. I mean, Sweaty, you very eloquently touched on it earlier, but, you know, um, the, the anthropologist Robin Dunbar talks about it really well in terms of about 150 people is the number of social contacts that people can generally maintain that if you walk into a bar or a cafe and you bump into somebody unannounced, you know exactly who each other are. It's not an issue to sit down, have a cup of tea and have a catch up there and then, you know, completely unexpectedly. So if I've got 150 people and everyone else has got 150 people, that's 22,000 500 people at one step removed from me and what I find is that most freelancers think oh well that person can't offer me work that's no no use they can't offer me work they can't offer me work well they forget is that person at one step removed they forget about that curiosity piece of going out and going hey you know we've always had a good relationship um I can see you're working in this area really interested to see if there's any opportunity for my skills could we just have a quick chat and particularly post-COVID where we're all very isolated, a quick 15-minute Zoom cup of coffee can re-establish rapport with somebody and they'll go, oh, do you know what? My friend does this or my colleague knows this and suddenly you're opening up doors. So I think that leveraging your networks is absolutely um, allows you to take control of the, the, the environment to release that uncertainty, if that makes sense. Yeah, I totally agree with Alison. I mean, that's the a thing I think that's quite important to look into your network, look into the relationships you've built with teams in the past who have not only valued what you do, but you know know that you can do that. And I think sometimes having the clarity of what you can offer, like Siona said that you know she'd freelance many moons ago and then she's freelancing now. Skill sets change, you add skill sets as well. So if you've, you know, for me traditionally being an art director, yes, of course I can do that, but I've moved on to sort of managing teams now or doing creative director roles or, you know, handling pitches. So if you're very clear in what you want to offer, not only to um, agencies and, you know, your clients, but also to headhunters, so they are able to sell you in as well, because often that's kind of a mismatch. If you're not very clear as to what you want to offer, what you can offer, then they don't know how to, you know, pitch you. And then obviously, 
working out your day rate, seeing what the competition is outside and, you know, with the level of experience you have and pitching yourself right. I think that's quite important because pitching yourself right for a project, sometimes obviously if you do want to get, I mean, the classic foot in the door, um, you know, you do say, you know, cut down my day rate a little bit, but I really want to do this project. Once you're in there proving yourself, then you know that you can do more. An additional thing that that, that is potentially really important is to be flexible and I don't I would love to hear you know what Emma and Alison think about this but I have different rates for different things that I do because I've, I've, I've got a lot of experience and there's different things that I can offer exactly like Seta said you know art direction it's something that you've done in the past which obviously you can do but now you also have senior capabilities like managing a team trade direction and I have different rates depending on what people would like me to do depending on the responsibility. So is that a is that a good idea? Is that advisable? Or is it better to have one rate? That's it. Yeah, I, I have a lot of different rates for different for for different clients, for different projects within the same company, I'll have different rates. So I never worry about that. It depends on the work I'm doing. And, and I'm always focused on why why the client's coming to me why they're coming to me why I can you know how I can add value what it's it's about the why for me it's not about opening my suitcase and going I can do all these things which do you want it's about how I'm solving their problems why they're coming to me and I'm always looking to find clients that share my values that that you know that you know it's a for me freelancing is a bit like dating i'm going out i'm looking to build long-term relationships with people i'll really when i'm looking at a new client i'm always looking at something small that i can build up to learn that trust that whole sort of courtship ritual if you like so so i'm looking at that but i'm always thinking you know why am i adding value am i turning what they're doing into extra sales are they saving money on the bottom line am i increasing their creative vision am i helping them get into a new market so i i really try and take the conversation away from price and look at the value that I'm adding. So I'm not directly trading my time for money, but looking at a as a value added luxury high end purchase. So that's the way I try and approach it. And I, th I think that is very wise. I, you know, sort of on the freelance side, I always say to people, you know, sort of um, be flexible on, on your rate. I think you should always have a bottom line that you think you're never going to you know sort of uh, go beyond and sort of know what that is and obviously keep that to yourself um but um and but often i would say you know before you say what your rates ask the company what is their budget because you know um it's not necessarily what you're worth it's what someone is prepared to pay and sometimes if you pitch yourself too low it's a psychological thing people think you're you're not good enough you you know sort of um you know they've, they've spoken to another freelancer who was 100 pounds more a day and there must be a reason for that person being 100 pounds more a day so they're going to actually you know sort of go with the person who's more expensive so um it, it you know it's opening as Alison said the conversation to sort of see where you can add value what the client's budget is and then sort of working accordingly so yeah flexibility on on rates is great um especially I would, I would say, Sweater, if um, if you do drop your rate, it, it's a good idea to sort of say and have it in writing that it's an introductory rate. Or um, I have a couple of clients who, after COVID, have asked a few freelancers to sort of take a 10% pay cut. Um, and the freelancers agreed, but we did put it, um, a stipulation in terms of date when their rate would go back up so that there was clarity from their side as to, you know, so sort of they knew how long they could you know, sort of work on on um, having a lower rate for. So, um, so yeah, flexibility is absolutely key. Alison, did you want to come in there? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I often encourage freelancers to pitch in a price themselves because once you've kind of expressed why you can add value and what you can do, I kind of don't always depend. I mean, it's it's sector dependent. So if there's kind of established rates, that's one thing. But I always like to pitch in myself and I'm always listening for a sharp intake of breath when I sort of because at that point, I know that they're interested. They're really I, I they, they've bought into what I'm saying and I've pitched myself at the stretchy end of the market. So there's room for a negotiation. If I don't hear that sharp intake of breath, I come away feeling like I've left money on the table. So I'm always listening out for that. What are the other successful ways to negotiate a, a good rate then? You know, and is actually, as you just said, um, Emma, is the market quite um, 
is it quite flexible now? You know, are people expecting discounts and things? No one's throwing money around um, probably in, in these times, but I think people still value, you know, sort of someone's worth and what they can bring. So um, sort of, yeah, I think you're, it's also what you get out of it. So it might be that you think actually, you know, um, just a designer who knows that they're great at art direction, um, but they have they don't have enough uh, of that to showcase in their uh, portfolio. So they think, well, actually, I'm going to lower my rates um, to a client for some art direction work to get that work in their portfolio, because actually that work is make, you know, means more to them than the actual money that they've created for it, because it means they can go out and get more work on that side. So I think always have a, an idea of what, you know, what's in it for you, you know, sort of uh, understanding what's in it for the client, but what's in it for you. And um, yeah, we always pitch it slightly high, as Alison mentioned, and because you can always come down. Um, and, um, and, and maybe if they, you've got people who are friends or connections at work in that same company, you know, before you have the conversations, maybe they can tell you what they normally pay. So, you know, if you can get a little bit of insider info, you're not pitching in the dark um, at, at what your rate should be. So um, equally, if you're very busy and you're not, um, you know, it's, if, if you don't need the work, you can pitch higher and they say no, then you can walk away, you know, so it's, um, there's a lot of tactics, but do your homework. You have to show that you have the experience. And I also, one thing that I've noticed is what people do, and I've done in the past, is I do ask them what the job is for. You know, what kind of work is it? Is it like a beauty brand? What kind of um, sector is it for? And then dig out from your portfolio work for that sector, because people like to see that you've done things before. That is yeah. that kind of, if they don't know you, if, if they know you and if they've worked with you, it's a different story. If you're going in to work with an agency or with a client um, completely new, then they, they want to see that you've done something, you've proven yourself somewhere else in that sector probably. So it's always helpful to have a bit of that in your folio, not new work, mm. but just to say, yes, I do have experience doing this. And I've been on the other side of the coin as well, where I've had to hire freelancers to work in my team. And um, I have sometimes hired people who um, their day rates have been slightly higher, but it's all been based on what can you do for me and, 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 and trusting that they will deliver. And if I know this person will deliver, then I'm happy to pay that kind of amount. Um, so I think that's what you need to you need to win that trust and, and know that, you know, people you will give people what they need or you will get from people what you want out of them. Yeah, I, to I totally agree. I always ask what is the you know what is the job entail and sometimes it's you know um it can be different things but i have different portfolios as well so different creative work you know it's very different whether you're i think working for an agency where sometimes you get hired as an extra pair of hands where they can actually throw lots of different things at you and you kind of have a day rate and they book you for two weeks solid and whatever needs doing they'll they'll get you to do or you get hired for a very specific project. And then I usually negotiate a project price. Um, so that depends on, you know, is there strategy involved? Is there, do I need to do research? So all these elements I then price, and that's not really, that's based on, on a day rate, but it's a different day rate. And I negotiate a project price. And then I say, okay, it'll take me X amount of time to do it, and this is the price. Yeah, just following up on what Sione said, um, what I always encourage freelancers to do is if you're pitching for work is take ownership of that proposal and what you'll do, because in my experience, there's generally two reasons why you might take on a freelancer, because they've got specialist skills, in which case you're probably not best to write the proposal of what they're planning to do, or because you need extra capacity, at which point you haven't got time to write the proposal of what you want them to do. So as the freelancer, write the proposal, own the project plan, but at that point you can say, right, this is the spec of what I'm going to do. This is the time frame. These are the things. And if you want extra bits, then they'll come at this price. Or, you know, like if you're doing a video project and it's like right here, you get two locks at it with revisions. And then if you want a third look, there's a cost. But you can set those parameters. So part of your negotiation is understanding and giving yourself a clear scope and spec to go, this is what I'll do for this price. If the project goes changes direction, put your hand up. Projects change direction. Do we want to go in that direction? What don't we want to do? All of that kind of stuff. But you've got a piece of paper, which is your kind of roadmap for that project. And that gives you a place to negotiate from when you're in it as well. And I think that really helps to 
give you confidence as a freelancer that you are doing what you're being paid to do and not too much more. Yeah, and I think um, a lot of times um, there is scope creep as well. I know you've, you know, you've decided on a certain fee and you've decided on a certain job, but sometimes, you know, you are asked to do weekend working as well. And again, this is an advice from a very good headhunter in London that I used to work with. Uh, it was like double your charges because you're working the weekend. And I know lots of people will think, oh, am I going to lose the job then? Am I not? Are they going to find that, you know, too high? And she was like, no, but you are giving up your weekend. You have agreed to do things in the week. So don't be shy of asking for money because you are having to work sort of out of hours. You're putting probably 12 hours a day. I don't even think we have kind of unless you're charging per hour. I don't think people kind of charge an overtime in our industry. You know, it's always like a day rate that you work with. And a lot of people go above and beyond um, and, and do more than they need to. So I would also think that you have to measure it quite nicely and, and know for yourself that if there is a scope creep, how do you manage that? And be very upfront with um, people who are you know, getting you on various projects. If you're um, if you're new to this uh, world of freelance, we were talking about at the beginning, and you've got to value yourself, and you've got to get that right, and you've got to believe in yourself. How do you go about that? I mean, Alison, have you got any tips from the work you've been doing, for example? Yeah, I mean, I think Emma put it really well earlier. It's that benchmarking thing and understanding around all of the different types of opportunities, and you know, looking for information about equivalent jobs, um, guilds and organizations that publish rates, all of that kind of stuff, looking at what you need to live on and starting to build up a picture of that and what you can do. And, and often if you're new, you might look for the smaller client. Um, and what, what I find a lot is that freelancers are a year or so in will be like, oh goodness, I'm trying to put my rates up with this client and they won't have it and they can't afford it. But often there's almost like entry level clients that you work with who will only take the entry level person because that's what they work with. But actually that builds your professional experience and it's having the confidence to churn them and move on to the next tier, if you like, of clients or the next role, whatever it might be. So it's, it's that balance and really seeing, well, where can I add value? How can I gain that first bit of traction, but not being afraid to churn that? Because often there are companies that will just take newbies. Great. And there is something you'd add to what you said earlier. When you're trying to, um, when you're new and you're you kind of not understanding your worth, um, another thing is to talk to other freelancers. So I, I think a, a couple of years ago, before LinkedIn became sort of, you know, sort of uh, as big as it is, a lot of people were see, um, seeing other freelancers as competitors. So they were sort of, it was very much a, oh, I don't want to say what I'm on or, you know, um, but the problem is then that um, that helps the client say, well, I'll pay 300 for this person, I'll only pay 200 for this person, but it, it's not helping the freelancer community. So, um, you know, go out there, talk to other freelancers, ask them, you know, how do they set their rates? Um, you know, how are they um, able to, you know, sort of increase or, you know, what tips have they got? Um, so, yeah, don't be afraid to ask other freelancers. They're not your competitors. They're almost like your colleagues uh, from afar. You know, there's a, it's the community. So see it as a community and use their expertise. If, you know, they've all gone through it. They've got five, ten years experience and you're just starting. You want to learn, you know, quicker what they had to learn over a five or ten year period. So, um, so almost the best people to talk to are you know, people doing the exact same as you, but just don't view them as competitors. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's um, that's good advice. I think talking to your peers, I think Siona and I once ended up working with the same agency on a freelance project recruited very separately. Hers was through, um, you know, Headhunter and mine was through somebody I knew. And it was just um, kind of out of the blue. It was like, I'm starting work here tomorrow and I'm starting work here tomorrow. And it turned out to be the same place. And we were like, oh, how much are you getting paid? <laughs> And, you know, what is the project? We were pretty much working on the same project, but at two different ends of the project, if that makes sense. Different yeah. schools coming in from two different ends. But it was quite assuring in, in, in a way that, you know, we were both going in for, for a certain project and you know kind of what the benchmark was, if that makes sense. So yeah. uh, talking to people definitely does help. And, and like you said, it used to be obviously quite competitive, but now I think it's also like, people ring up other people as well and say, you know, I've, or I've been asked so many times, do you know somebody else if you can't do it? 
um, yeah. and the referrals because we are in a relationship industry anyway and word of mouth is a massive thing so I think that always helps and I've always got a list of people that I would recommend um, to anybody and I think that's a good thing to have as well in on your list and say I can't do this job I'm busy for the next two weeks but how about maybe contact these people and then those people might pay it forward and you know recommend you in the future so I think that's quite a nice way to again build your network in a nice way you become um, sort of uh, known to other people, uh, but that's where it's really clear to get the messaging right. So many freelancers, um, their LinkedIn profiles are quite shabby. So they they aren't very succinct in terms of what their skills, what they can deliver, the value that they can add, the, you know, so the industries or sectors they've worked on. You, you, if a client lands on your LinkedIn profile, you, you don't want them to go off. So you want to give them everything that they need there or push them to your website, which is gonna give them more information so um i've done quite a few little videos recently just saying to people that you know there's um the your headline in linkedin is a totally searchable field so every word in there is searchable so if someone's going to type in freelance art director you want to have those words and you want to come up in that search um so you know your um, portfolio is really important to showcase so you can put that in your contact info but you um, can also put it in the featured section so um you know there's there's various ways which you, you can showcase but just yeah make sure that it's you know it says what you can do so and somebody can feel confident that you are the person that they're searching for if it's a bit wishy-washy and it doesn't really say much it's not going to give them confidence and they they'll probably move on to the next person so um so yeah connections both in real life but also in the virtual world is really important great thank you so given that furlough is ending there could be a few people considering freelance as a career they may be saying to themselves well am i the right type of person to do this do you think that there is a particular personality type that fits better or is anyone able to go freelance it's it's whether you enjoy that adrenaline of um you know eek i don't it's friday afternoon i have no idea what's happening next week and some people do thrive on that there are certain personalities that sort of fly by the seat of their pants and they they're quite you know it's a bit of an adrenaline rush and they're quite happy and they've lived that way the whole um their freelance career for other people they like the certainty um and for those people i would say you know try looking at retainers or lumpier contracts where you may be you know sort of tied in for two three months so you're not having those spikes every week but you know sort of at a longer period of time but i think anyone can do it but it's it's whether anyone can enjoy the experience of doing and that those are two different things a very timely moment to explain why i wrote my book which is to help people exactly in the situation we're talking about you find yourself freelance you don't know anything about it and you know i wrote the book as a reaction to they're just not being literature i learned how to be freelance by being a freelancer from other freelancers and i realized that i knew quite a lot about it and there wasn't any literature there so so i I, I wrote it in that way, but it's very much takes you through on a step by step, quite workbooky in part journey to understanding how to be a great freelancer. So, yeah, you don't have to be a certain type of person, but you just need to know your kind of limits, I think. And, um, you know, and sort of calm your anxieties around you know, finding work and, and have a proper plan in terms of how you would find work, because there is work out there. If you understand how to sell yourself in a way, you know, build those connections, then you can actually, you know, freelance, you know, and I know some freelancers don't go on summer holidays because, you know, if you're on holiday and you get work, <laughs> they avoid doing that. So it's, it's a lot, it's knowing all those things and, and knowing what works for you. I know a lot of them you know, go on holiday in the winter because they're working through the summer because that's a busy period. So I think it's just knowing what you want to do and set your boundaries and limitations. And I think you need to do a bit of planning. I think I, I don't think you could just be so ad hoc, even though the business sounds a bit ad hoc, especially in advertising. People, you know, think, you know, you're as good as the last work you made. So they want to see what you've done. If you're not putting work into your portfolio, then what are you actually showing them? So I think all of that, I think it also depends what kind of skills you have to offer because certain skill sets are very more, I feel a bit more not tuned to freelance, but it's it's easier to freelance if you're, you know, if you're a designer, if you're doing digital projects, if you're doing, 
you know, UX, UI and things like that. If you're in a business where you're, you know, you're being used to do creative thinking and you're working on pitches, you never get anything made. So you, you can fall into a bit of a trap where you go in, you give them all the ideas, they make it. You don't have that kind of ownership, which I've felt in the past that you've done it, but then it's your baby, but you don't have it. <laughs> they have it. <laughs> yeah. So, so that makes you feel like, oh, you know, what do I have to show for all the work I've done? So if I do do something and it gets made, then I do ask the agency. And this is another thing. Don't feel shy to ask the agency and say, oh, Will you put my name on it? I've been quite open and asked, you know, if you're putting it for awards, um, I hope you credit me because I spent all that time making it. Or can I use it for my portfolio with your permission just to just to get more work and say this is my capabilities. This is what I can do. So I think those sort of things um, do sort of come in the way. But I do think more and more people are going to, you know, it, the flexibility that freelance offers and, you know, it 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 can become the career that you want with, you know, you picking and choosing the kind of work you do, the kind of people you work with. Yeah, I think that is it's the same in design. And in a way, it's that is a little bit of a catch-22 that you're in a freelance. And I think when you're when you're working permanently, when you're working in a team and you get more experience and within the team, you get put on maybe stretching projects because they want to develop you. Whereas as a freelancer, you need to prove that you've got that skill before you can get the kind of work in. So that's a little bit of a catch-22. If you want to grow or do different things, you've got to kind of get that kind of experience under your belt or an example in your portfolio that you can actually do that. So um, so I think there's also ways around that, but that's, you know, you can do your own projects or whatever, but it's, it's, uh, it, it's definitely a challenge, I think. I just want to ask you a question really about women in the industry. We are women unlimited, so we like to talk about women a bit. Um, and I mentioned earlier that we, we understand that women and BAME have been more affected perhaps by the furlough scheme. Um, and I don't even know whether, in fact, this is changing the way that women might work. But we think that women are perhaps more attracted to the freelance world, as we talked about earlier. Just wondered what your views were on that, Alison. Yeah, well, in, in preparation of this, I, saw, I looked up some stats on, that Ipsy had put together on, on women in freelancing. And actually, the trends are very strongly in favour of it. You're seeing one in eight of the solo self-employed are working mothers, 69% increase in female freelancers since 2008, 75% of women are happy being self-employed. And unlike men women are majority saying things around the control of hours control where i work better work life balance as reasons to be freelance so i think women are really seeing that freelancing is a way of making work work for them emma do you have any views on it in terms of your candidates i think you know if you if you look back in time to get flexible working as a woman you would um, probably uh, um, um, probably for a lot of uh, mothers returning to work thinking I don't want to work for five days a week I want to spend some time with my ch uh, my children you know um, and often the employers at that time would only allow that if you're you know if you could have a job share so um, and you don't see much of that anymore because of the fact that I think um, we're evolving now into this practice you know it's not the nine to five you know it as long as you get the job done um, it doesn't really matter so much um, when a lot of that time is is worked and that's where I think freelance can parachute sort of in uh, and sort of drop in and um, sort of you know uh, do that as well as your permanent staff so I think um, so I think in, in the past you know I think it's been a, a bit of a stumbling block um, with certainly with women um, sort of thinking is is freelance a career good career option um, so a lot would probably prefer to offer the job share can't remember in the last two three years any uh, roles um, that have been job share so I think we have definitely moved away from that a lot of people who've left a permanent job um, uh, gone freelance and gone back to their employer and they're doing the exact same job um, or elements of that job um, you know sort of on a freelance basis. I'm just thinking about recruitment now from a recruiter perspective what challenges do you think are facing hiring freelancers you know what what are clients saying to you about their challenges or not of hiring freelancers at the moment? 
Yeah, I think there's a bit of sensitivity um, at the moment, uh, particularly for the times we're living through, um, where if a client had to make a lot of redundancies on the perm staff, um, then the people who are left feeling if they then bring a, a lot of freelancers in, um, you know, there's, you know, it, they're trying to be sensitive that a lot of people have lost their jobs. So some clients are thinking, should I hire a freelancer now? Would that go down? negatively with the team you know sort of how because they want to keep that team morale they understand that you know a lot of people have lost colleagues that they love and they didn't want to make them redundant so so I think that's a bit of a challenge from a client perspective that they need to overcome that culturally um, but I think the 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 great thing for that is to for the clients to speak to their um, the employees that are left and explain the rationale behind it and the reasons and bringing new skills in and uh, you know sort of different ways of thinking can only be a good thing um, and you know sort of going forward so so I think that's one of the biggest stumbling blocks we come across from a client perspective at the moment is is not rocking the boat a, a bit of hesitation um, because of a sense you know sensitivity um, it's not stopping them but I think they are you know um, it's it's a timing thing and, and making sure that you know they, they protect the people who are left yeah I mean for me um, I think you know what Emma said about that 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 sensitivity with the client is is really important and one of the things I see regularly with freelance opportunities is it's it's really just a job with an end date it's described as a job, it's pitched as a job, it's written as a job description. And I think to avoid some of those sensitivities, I'm always encouraging businesses that I talk to to really think about you know, a, a, a defined project with a start, a middle and an end so that anyone coming in um, knows what they've got to do. They've got their deliverables at the end, but also the team can see this is a defined thing. This isn't them replacing that person who was there. They've come in to do the start, middle and end. It's finished there. So you're slightly differentiating the scope and how you think. So um, I, I tend to talk much less about hiring, but more like commissioning freelance work, you know, delivering projects, that kind of thing, so that I'm working with different language with different parts of the team. And I think that particularly where in these times where there's lots of change in businesses that can help to um, assuage the anxieties of employees and help and, and companies can really feel a bit more secure. And I should imagine it also plays quite well into IL35 questions that come up. So you then don't look like a disguised employee and things like that. But it, it starts to give ground rules for how that team is going to work. I do see that, you know, employers have to like justify why they need a freelancer for that particular project because I think they have a lot of pressure as creative directors to make it work in-house I mean I've you know quoted on certain projects I've been asked to quote on certain projects and then they've said sorry we've had to take it in-house or you know that they're trying to obviously make sure that you know they've got a certain budget they've got to justify it to their big bosses to say do we actually need these two extra people what are they going to give us so I think um, and then there are certain companies that probably think that they do need you because you probably have that level of experience that you've maybe done a similar kind of project before that you could add value so they want to get you on board but again I think more and more creative directors now or who I deal with from an agency perspective are being very cautious or have had a recruitment um, sorry freelance freeze or you know they say you know we can't for the next three months you know get anybody on board to freelance we've got to make do with the team um, that we have so that's kind of been my experience but I think it's um, it just depends on how the business is moving as well the pace of the business thanks to COVID you know there's lots of people who you know like retail has suffered quite a bit so those kind of clients maybe aren't spending a lot of, lot of money um, but then there are certain businesses that are actually very very busy um, so it just depends you know on on what's going on right now and you yeah you just have to keep pitching yourself and making sure that, you know, they know that you're there so that if they need you, you know, you, you've got you've got a chance for the work. And just following on quickly, just from what Sveta said there, you know, if a client says to you, we have a freelance freeze for three months, um, that's what they're saying now. That doesn't necessarily mean that is going to last three months. So don't as a freelancer go, well, I won't speak to them for three months because in two or four weeks time, actually, 
things have turned around they've got a new client and now they're new new freelance so it's it's constantly still touching base even if they don't feel that they can take someone on things change daily i think keeping on top of mind is also quite yeah. important because Front when you're mind, yeah. um yeah if you know you're a busy sort of creative department and then you know you're having to source people um if they know that you've kind of your name has been sort of banded about and it's been there then they'd be like oh well, okay i know she's around check you know is she available to work so i think that's quite important as well yeah i think that's that's been my experience as well and i think it's i've had both where companies said you know sorry um you know we have a freeze but also companies have said oh we we actually have a recruitment freeze but we have a lot of work and we actually need freelancers and therefore uh, we need you. So yeah, so that's 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 been a mix really. But the same as Sweater said, you know, it's it's um, keeping in touch with people. Just you know, a quick email say like, hi, how's it going? You know, and I'm I'm around if you need support. And uh, kind of keeping exactly like keep it like Sweater said is you're keeping top of mind. And when something does come up, they remember you. Like I said, you, a you want to be top of mind, but you also want to break through because there's so many people, so many talented people that the pool's getting wider and bigger. So you've got to sell yourself. People want when they have freelancers, they want to have uh, people they enjoy being around. Um, so you know, sort of uh, if you know, finding out you know if a client has a you know sort of uh, a chart you know if you've worked with them before you can ask how their family is or you know sort of it's just it's not just the same robotic message I'm available for work I'm available for work you know it's sort of it's a conversation um, especially with people you've worked with in the past before so that they you know sort of um, remember you um, also being sort of fortuitous if you know that they have production meetings on a Thursday morning if you send your availability email at lunchtime on a Thursday, you may just, you know, sort of land timely because you know, you know, that that's when they're most likely going to be looking at needs for the following week. So, you know, sort of just adding all of these things um, sort of to your repertoire uh, of when you're talking to people um, absolutely helps. Um, but yeah, I think there's certain industries and I think as a freelancer, if you're the stability side is quite interesting. So, you know, there's some freelancers who have have all of their work in retail for instance and retail is having a hard time so some of those freelancers are struggling whereas there's other freelancers who have a broad spectrum of clients in different sectors and and that's a lot more of a stable um sort of ship because if if one industry or sector is struggling then at least it's not impacting on all of your clients so it's thinking about that when you're building your business uh, you know sort of a, from a stability point of view um and, and having a number of different clients not just a handful you know trying to spread it so that more people know and uh knowing you and can call upon you really well thank you everybody that's been amazing really insightful very productive and if i may call on you for just a minute or so more it would be really helpful i think for listeners if you could maybe just give your top tips for new women in into the freelance industry i'm going to start with alison um what would your top tips be alison i think for i i kind of wrote down three here are uh, you know know why your clients come to you why you know then think about understanding the value that you can offer to them what's the secret source that you have that nobody else has so that's about understanding that and doing that research and then finally um, it has to be be a great person to work with because if you leave a good impression and you finish the project and everyone's happy and you've had a cracking time and it's been a bit of banter and a really good project however hard it is people will just remember you as a good person to work with and you'll be high up on the list that's great thank you emma what about you um i think for women i would say sort of be be bold be confident um you know sometimes perhaps women underplay more you know sort of what they're good at um as opposed to uh sort of males can maybe be a little bit more confident so it's have confidence in yourself um you know showcase and be bold about what it is that you you offer and don't you know be apologetic for it you know sort of embrace it really and um and and build your network call upon people ask for favors um you know i think you know don't be don't be at home sitting alone um wondering how how you can you know sort of build your network i think go out there and and make it happen lots of zoom coffees 
<laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I think like what Alison said, I think, um, you know, understand your USP, understand what you can offer, be very clear in terms of what you can offer. And, that, and don't be afraid to go above and beyond. I know you're a freelancer and you have certain hours, but you can do a, if you can do a bit more, it's always nice that, you know, you know, you're, you're doing a job, show your passion. You know, freelance doesn't mean you clock in, clock out. It's still a passionate job that you, you can bring so much passion and um, also show that you're reliable because at the end of the day, you know, you, they want you because, you know, the reliability and the trust you've got to build on that relationship. So I think that's quite important so that people, you know, want you again the next time if, you, if they know that they can rely on you to deliver. I think that's quite important. Yeah, yeah so I, I think it's very similar to what's already been said. But um, my first one would be uh, know your worth. So know your USB, know what you're worth, um, do your research, know what um, you can can ask from a rate point of view, but also, um, you know, what your what you can offer, the kind of skills you have, like really have a good understanding of what you can bring to the table. Um, and then also um, expand your network. So always look to make connections with people, obviously with potential clients, but also with other creatives, whether it's freelance or not. And my third one would be, you know, get involved with your local design or creative industry, uh, community, because I think there's lots of events that are being organized. Again, that's about networking, but it's also about not feeling uh, alone, meeting other freelancers. You know, um, I know before COVID, you know, um, we as Women Limited had organized events um, where women can meet. And I think a lot of particularly the freelancers found that very um, very helpful and very inspiring because you are more on your on your own. Well, thank you, everyone. I think that brings us nicely to a close. Uh, we hope that everyone, all our listeners, enjoyed this episode. I'd like to thank Alison and Emma and Sienna and Sweater for their valuable time and contribution. Um, and uh, good luck to anyone starting in the industry or also all of those who've been doing it for 10 15, 20 years, and let's hope that 2021 brings us something better. This podcast has been brought to you by Women Unlimited, the first platform for women in the creative and marketing industries that was set up in Birmingham with the aim of inspiring, supporting, and empowering women in our industry to reach their potential. In collaboration with We Are Outspoken, a newly formed community of kick-ass women here to support those in the early stages of their career and a place where people can share their stories, failings and experiences. We know exactly what you're going through because we're living it ourselves. We'd love feedback and thoughts on your own experiences, so do get in touch on our social channels. You can find us on Twitter at, at Women Unlimited, capital W-O-M-E-N, capital U-N-L-T-D, and at we are underscore outspoken. Thanks for spending time with us.